fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Guys, I'm telling you, you really need to stop getting my hopes up here. Stop spreading the crazy information. Stop with that fake news garbage, man. You are fake news. Just stop it. You can't be doing that to me. Lead me on. Get me all kinds of excited. You cannot tell me that Mitch McConnell is stepping away from the Senate Minority Leader. You cannot tell me these things without getting kind of giddy because it's not true. At least from what I've been able to find, it's not true. Maybe you've heard something different, but I saw some social media posts throughout the weekend saying Mitch McConnell's on the way out. Mitch McConnell's leaving. You can't do that to me. In fact, he has been out for a while due to a concussion and a rib injury. This is why we can't have nice things. We have old decrepit guys out there that have been there for way too long and now have to go to the pharmacy within the Capitol to get their pain medications so they can walk around the uh, Capitol grounds again. Like Mitch McConnell. I'm sorry, Mitch McConnell, who's back at it again, ready to go as he's back in and ready to take on the job again of trying to be that moderate Republican, trashing conservatives and working with Democrats most of the time that's how we start this program today welcome into it what's up happy monday hopefully you had a wonderful weekend back at it again i feel like i am rested and well recouped i think therefore i am if i think i am therefore it must be so right uh little voice of reason mrs voice of reason and myself went to the renaissance festival here in the hometown of uh, wichita kansas over the weekend and it was cold as in it was like 52 degrees with like a 30 percent wind or 30 mile an hour wind so that dropped it into the 40s then it started raining on us for a while and it was overcast the entire time and guess what we powered through we walked through our renaissance festival for seven hours on saturday little voice of reason was tired was cold was extremely cranky and grumpy and it was a heck of a lot of fun so uh yeah we had a good time welcome into it we got a lot to get to hopefully you had just as wonderful of a weekend as myself big show lined up as usual guy mitchell he'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour uh his latest book global warming the great deception makes sense i just went through a renaissance festival in the middle of april and it was a little bit rainy and a little bit of boom and thunder and kind of cold and we could call that springtime i'm gonna call it global i'm sorry climate change because it's not global warming anymore it's now climate change so yeah yeah we'll go with that one we'll go with that one so we'll talk about climate change the great deception where is that line between science and political agenda. We'll get to that with Guy coming up at the bottom of the hour. Until then, though, man, I got to tell you, I, I guess, I guess, welcome back, Mitch McConnell. I mean, I'm glad you're all right. First and foremost, politics aside, glad everything's okay, uh, just like all the other elected officials that are out. But, man, can you start seeing the piling up of lists of elected officials that are above the 80-year range that are having to be out for medical issues? I'm thinking that we need to start talking about at least discussing an idea of implementing some type of age requirement where if you're past 80 years old you cannot run for re-election again can we do something like that please can we just have the prime age of electorship between like 30 and 65 <laughs> working age a little bit above the actual like teenage and 20 year olds because you're still trying to figure things out but like between 30 and 65 and if you're past that, if you're past like 70, let's just say, then if you're already in when you turn there, that's cool. You just can't run for re-election because that's when you start seeing the medical issues. 
you start having problems, you've probably been in office for way too damn long, for like 30 or 40 years anyways, and you've run out of ideas. How much more can you honestly be contributing to the nation? So, Mitch McConnell, glad you're okay. I guess welcome back to be the front runner for the Republican Party. And while there were some social media tweet tweets about how he may be stepping away, according to ABC News during his speech that was real brief about his return and what he plans on doing, he said literally, it's great to get back. Uh, I did this. I did that. I believe people will be inspired to follow in his example, and I'm so excited. Uh, he says that he has no intention of actually walking away or doing anything different. So he's not leaving. He's got tons of plans, and... Uh, there you are. It's uh, let's suffice to say this wasn't the first time being hard headed, uh, and it served me very well. Ha ha ha, hardy har, I guess. But Mitch McConnell's back at it uh, this week, and there's not really much more to say about that. Diane Feinstein's still out with shingles right now. Again, another example, just to put that stamp on that elected officials. Once you start having health problems because you're that old, then you should step aside and let actually people who can show up to work every single day actually do the damn job. It's kind of like in the workforce in the private sector. Nothing against individuals who are a little bit older have health issues but if you have constant health issues because you are on the older end as a business maybe you start thinking about having someone that's a little bit more reliable show up to work each and every day not against them just as a business you have to work and be efficient the government uh, i'm sorry everything i just mentioned throw it out the window it's the government we're not talking about efficiencies so don't worry about it at all. Holy cow. We got a big week lined up because there are uh, a few different holidays. Don't know if you're aware of it, but there's a few big holidays coming up this week. Obviously, uh, Thursday, right? It would be, yeah, Thursday. It would be 420, so you can only imagine what that one's going to look like. And if you partake, then all the power to you. We may have to have a conversation about that on Thursday with some states and where they're at with their marriage marijuana legislation. Uh, tomorrow, however, is tax day. Now, I don't know why it's tomorrow instead of, well, technically it was Friday for the 15th because April 15th is tax day, which normally, let's say for your paycheck, I'm pretty sure that if your paycheck lands on a Saturday, many businesses do it on the last business day, which means it would be paid out on Friday. Um, I'm sure the government likes usually doing the same thing again, too. So having tax day delayed a couple of days, kind of interesting. And it all hangs on how much tax revenue the federal government and the uh, Internal Revenue Service is reporting to show you exactly how much longer we have until our debt ceiling officially hit. Oh, yes, we're relying on the tax day to decide how much tax revenue we have to continue to pay before we finally hit that deadline and Americans die in the street. According to Yahoo News, the question is of when U.S. could default may come in sharp relief after the Treasury reveals on how big tax day may be. As the political battle over statutory debt ceilings set to amp up with the Treasury's tax receipts giving a clearer idea of how much cash will be on hand as it approaches the limit to impose by the $31.4 trillion debt ceiling cap to prevent it from borrowing you're not allowed to borrow anymore sorry your credit card has been maxed out at 31.4 trillion dollars that's with a t and what are the biden administration and the democrats saying now don't worry just do an infinite raise we don't need to worry about it we can spend as much as we want it will have no impact on inflation it will have no impact on the economy in any way shape or form don't worry these aren't the droids you're looking for According to the Treasury right now, their cash pile is sitting at more than $200 billion uh, following the tax day that would be strong, while figures of less than $150 billion would be weak. So between $150 to $200 billion would be good 
on tax day for us to continue to just barely pay our debts and pay a whole bunch of interest on debts because the government doesn't know how to uh, spend within their means. Kevin McCarthy spoke earlier today at the New York ex, uh, New York Stock Exchange as he was uh, talking about his 100 days in office as Speaker of the House, focusing primarily on the budget. Our national debt is too high, far too high. And the problem is getting worse, not better. We are now $31 trillion in debt. That's more the entire economy of America, 20% more. Think for a moment. That is unsustainable. Over the next 10 years, the United States will pay $10.5 trillion just in interest on our debt. Put that in perspective. Since 1940 until today, we have paid $9 trillion of interest in our total debt. Over 83 years, $9 trillion. And now we're going to pay 10.5 and 10. Imagine, if you will, having a credit card of that many trillions with a T of dollars that you can just spend with just willy-nilly. Just why the heck not? Now, at the same time, they're wondering why the economy is not quite rebounding the way that it was supposed to. If you remember, during the Biden administration's first year or two, as they came out of the COVID-19 pandemic, they were excited about that they were getting all these jobs back, these 6 million jobs then. Now I think they're parading around like 10 million jobs, something weird like that. They are excited that the economy is back on track, things are back to the way they were, and we need to continue to grow because we've had the best recovery ever, ever Ever, except, of course, from Barack Obama's recovery from the recession. If you remember that one, too, that was the quickest that we've ever had. The best recession recovery that we've ever seen in American history, which to them was let's inject money. Let's create a very large bubble in the economy. And then when it pops, we'll wonder why things are so bad right now, where we're still floating at right around six and a half, seven percent inflation. And people can't afford to go out and actually buy things at all. According to CNBC, Americans are living paycheck to paycheck at a 58% rate across the nation. Now, wait, I thought the economy was doing good. No, no. 58% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck, according to the latest national study, between higher costs and a possible recession, families are feeling the pressure as more than half of Americans are now living paycheck to paycheck, according to that NBC report with CNBC Your Money's Financial Confidence Survey. Even more, 70% of Americans... With a 7-0, again, that's for the other side, just having a slow time trying to comprehend this concept. They feel stressed about their finances, mostly due to inflation, economic uncertainty, rising interest rates, and high gas prices. Gas prices are slowly creeping up to that $4 a gallon average again across the nation in the slow period. So I wonder what it's going to look like during Memorial Weekend when we want to drive across the country or go camping or do what we do for the summertime. All the family vacations that people have planned as well. Apparently, those aren't going to fare very well when 70% of Americans feel they're stressed about their finances. But don't worry, federal government, baby, they've got your back. They're taking care of you and they're getting jobs back in the country. They're getting you back to work because you were going to die when all the COVID 19 social programs ran out. Remember, that was at the end of the month when. You now have to start getting the work requirements again to get Medicare or Medicaid, to get Social Security, to get the WIC programs. You had to fall into the requirements just like you did prior to COVID where you have to prove that you're trying to work, that you have applications out there, that you're doing what you can. During COVID, you didn't have to worry about that. It was just that. I don't feel like working. I got let go. I got laid off. I quit my job because I felt uncomfortable. And oh, yes, that worked. 
and you just started getting the paycheck. No longer, my friends. Now you actually have to work for it, and the media has been angry ever since. But with 70% feeling stressed about their finances, that can't look good for the Biden administration who's parading around that they're bringing jobs back, that they're increasing manufacturing, that they're getting the supply chain back under control, and that they're growing jobs by the rate of 6 to 10 million jobs in this country, right? The greatest we've ever seen, most job growth ever. Which, for example, let's take that number, which isn't true, but let's just take that for an example. If they say that we've created 10 million jobs in this nation... According to FraserInstitute.org, I was curious on how many of those were government jobs versus private jobs. Would be a common question, right? All right, if we're growing the growing the workforce, where is the workforce going? Is it going hospitality? Is it going truck driving? Is it going labor and manufacturing? Is it going white uh, white collared office jobs? Where are these jobs going? Oh no, no! According to Fraser Institute. They found that 86% of all the jobs created post-COVID-19 pandemic are public sector government jobs. Oh, yes. Let me read that again. We find, this according to the findings here, we find that public or government sector accounts for the large majority, 86.7% of all net new jobs created since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, step aside from the 6 to 10 million jobs created. That's a lie. The actual number of job growth that we're seeing in the nation is not the businesses coming back and recovering. It's the government expanding themselves and hiring new public sector workers. Does that make you feel better? Yeah. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Can you imagine trying to find the real number of how many jobs were actually created post-COVID-19? Now, that's not including the ones that actually went back to work. The Biden administration tries to lie to create those numbers. Be like, oh, we created 10 million jobs. But we know that's not true at all in any way, shape, or form. So we need to find the real number of actual job growth, like new jobs that weren't there prior to Then we look at that one, and we look at the numbers showing that 87% of them were actually government jobs. We haven't grown the private sector. We haven't grown the actual money-making industries in this nation. Now, remember, the government doesn't create any wealth in any way, shape, or form. It takes money from it. It's the distribution. It's the socialism. It's the communism. It's the redistribute, take from one person, give to somebody else, because it cannot create its own wealth. The private sector is the big piece of pie that's actually making and creating, baby. It's cranking away with what you do each and every day, going to your work, trying to make a living, trying to put food on the table for your family every single night. But when you grow the government with 87% of all the new jobs going to the government, how the hell are they supposed to make any new wealth? They're getting paid with, and this may be a shocker to the other side of the aisle here, they're being paid with tax money. I, I know that's a wild concept for some, and they don't understand that. But when you start getting more government workers and not enough private sector workers, pretty soon then you can't pay off the debts because you have more debts going out and not enough coming back in. So while we're dealing with a debt that's, what, $32, $33 trillion, 120% of our GDP right now, we're already spending more than what the private sector can create, 
and we continue to create more debt at the same time while we're wondering, gee, why can't we actually pay our debts to where we're going to pay $10 trillion in interest alone? What a stupid way to live as a nation. And the Democrats don't see any problem with it. And in fact, they get offended and appalled when we tell them to back off a little bit and cut some of that government spending in some way. There's one other issue I want to talk about real quickly here. For those that like to follow the political scene and the electoral scene, I know it's a little early right now with the presidential election of 2024. Obviously, all the focus has been on Donald Trump. A little bit of Ron DeSantis. We hear about Tim Scott possibly throwing his hat in the ring now. We hear about Larry Elder potentially throwing his hat in the ring now, A uh, another talk radio host. A lot of potential names that would be really interesting in this presidential race. One, however, made the official announcement over the weekend. What's trending today? On our What's Trending story of... One of my homeboys right here in the Kansas area, where we're based out of for our flagship radio station. He was our former congressman, former CIA director, former secretary of state under the Trump administration, Mike Pompeo, who's been speculated to potentially throw his head in the presidential ring. He made his video debut announcement this weekend. After much consideration and constant prayer, Susan and I have concluded that I will not be a candidate for the presidency of the United States in 2024. This decision is deeply personal, and ultimately we decided that the time is just not right. At each stage of my public service, as a soldier, as a member of Congress, and then as your director of the CIA and your Secretary of State, I've been blessed to have the opportunity to advance America in a way that fit the time and the moment. But now is not the time for me to seek elected office. Very interesting. Mike Pompeo not running for a presidential race in the 2020, which makes sense. I mean, he was under the Trump administration and he had hinted before that if Donald Trump threw his hat in the ring, that he would not want to run against Donald Trump because, well, they're on the same team. They're trying to work together here. Why split the vote when they had essentially some of the same ideas and the same vision for what the country looks like? So uh, one of them down, Mike Pompeo not throwing his hat in the ring. A little bit sad for kind of the hometown feel here in Kansas, as he was a great guy, super smart individual, and he would have been a great candidate. However, totally understand, and hopefully he throws his hat behind a really great candidate, more than likely going to be endorsing Donald Trump in that race. Just speculation. There's no actual hint of that in any way, shape, or form. But one more down. We'll see how that race progresses moving forward. The bitterness is heating up a little bit within the Republican Party. Donald Trump throwing an ad out against Ron DeSantis right now, poking some fun at him. So it's getting interesting. We're a year and a half away, and yet things are already getting there. When we come back, Guy Mitchell will talk about climate change and more right here on The Voice Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome into it. Boy, covering a lot of ground today for a Monday. Starting off the week right, baby, that's what we do. We just carpe diem all over this place. <laughs> Welcome into it. By the way, on a personal note, outside of walking around our Renaissance Festival this weekend for seven hours on Saturday in the 40-degree rain and like 30-mile-an-hour winds, Oh, yes, we did it because we are troopers. And we did it, by the way, in costume. Little voice reason. She's about ready to turn nine years old. She was not happy with Daddy at all, but I got her a unicorn blanket, and she wrapped herself around in that the entire time, had a grand old time. Uh, outside of that, then I went home, and I cried a little bit because I had anybody show of hands on Netflix, watch the series The Last Kingdom. 
it's a show about kind of that middle medieval type of uh, uh, age and the Vikings and Uhtred and whatever, this great story. Uh, it's uh, based off a book series. Well, they did five seasons of it on Netflix, and then they made a movie and to wrap up the entire saga. And I watched the movie and definitely cried a little bit. It was sad. It was sad it's over. But now I need to find something new to watch. So any recommendations are highly recommended. You can go to email me at network at gmail.com. Let me know, do I watch The Last Kingdom again uh, for like the third time? Or do I watch the Viking series again for like the fourth time? Because, I mean, those are really the two best series that are based in that time era. So uh, your thoughts would be well appreciated very much. Let's get into what's trending today. What do you say? What's trending today? I wonder if they had global warming back then. That would be interesting. I wonder if, well, they had global cooling, which is why it was known as the Dark Ages, because nothing would grow, and it was really a struggle for anything to grow because of the global cooling. Now we have global warming, which they say is really bad, but then they erased it because it wasn't global warming, and now it's just climate change because they don't know what's exactly going on. It's a fascinating topic, and that's what we're going to talk about next here with our next guest. He is the author of the book Global Warming, The Great Deception. Guy Mitchell on the line with us here. Guy, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Andy. Thank you. I hope you are. Yeah, always a pleasure. Yeah, it's good to have you on the program. Uh, it's fascinating how we've gone through this. We went from global cooling to, I remember the study in like the 80s and 90s where it was like acid rain. That was the big thing. Then it turned to global warming. Now it's just climate change because we don't know really what's going on, but whatever it is, we've done it and it's all our fault, right? Yeah, that appears to be the case. It's, a, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I've actually... I have a website, the address of which is globalwarmingdeception.com, and I wrote an op-ed on that about when when did global warming turn to climate change, and one has to conclude it's several several years ago when people figured out that none of the world's temperature databases for the atmosphere, oceans, or landmass depict any any warming. <laughs> so the, the dilemma is, well, if the data doesn't support the hypothesis, what should we do? And and the answer apparently is, well, you change it to, it's not global warming now, it's climate change. Climate change. Uh, which, which is pretty hard to measure because you don't know exactly what the datum is. Where do you start? It's funny they do that because I remember there was a hearing that Ted Cruz was grilling some of the government scientists about that, and they just kept, they wouldn't answer the question. They would just repeat the phrase of, uh, we concur with the 99% of scientists that concur about man-made climate change or man-made global warming, whatever they said, and they, they would never answer anything. They would never actually solve any problems or explain anything. It was just, we concur with the government scientists that were done in a study where only a few, a couple thousand scientists that were on a government database actually did the survey that said they believe in man-made global warming or man-made climate change. Uh, but science itself, the experiments, the hypothesis, and then do it, to do the experiment, and then see whether we're actually right or not, that system of operation is really no more, is it? Especially when it comes to the climate change issue. Well, you know, the interesting thing about it, and I go to some length to present this in my book, is if one starts... Uh, at what are what is the generally accepted um, principles of science, what's called first principles of science in the relevant fields. In this case, it's thermodynamics, which has to do with heat transfer. 
spectroscopy, which has to do with the absorption and emission of uh, electromagnetic radiation by matter, and all matter does that, that has temperature above zero degrees Kelvin, and then atmospheric physics and quantum mechanics, which deals with how molecules absorb photons and emit them, what you find out if you look at the if you look at the science if you look at the research which I, which I did to uh, I spent a year and a half or more reading papers on the subject that were published uh, by scientists who use these uh, first principles of science in the relevant fields. What you find out is that the increase in the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere from 280 parts per million to about 410 parts per million has resulted in a downwelling, that's a, a, a radiation directed down toward the Earth, heat value of about 1.7 watts per meter squared. So if you have a 60-watt bulb in a lamp in your den, this is about 1 60th of that, spread out over one meter, which is about, you know, nine square feet, and that compares to that that 1.7 meters uh, watts per meter squared compares to the typical solar irradiance on a clear summer day near equatorial latitudes of about a thousand watts per meter squared. So it's it's de minimis, and that and that and that's based on science. I mean, this these are actually calculations that research scientists have done using publicly available data that prove that the heat flux that comes back to the Earth from CO2 molecules that absorb 15 micron wavelength infrared radiation is de minimis. It's, it has not. I mean, water vapor is by far and away the most active greenhouse gas. Yeah. And, of course, <laughs> You know, you can't it's regulate not, that. It's hard, <laughs> it's hard to link that to man's activity. So it's it's the biggest scientific fraud in history. That's the conclusion one to draw. Yeah. Now the question is: is why? Why the deception? Why the fraud? Why create this crazy scenario for the fear-based politics? Uh, obviously, I know it's kind of a rhetorical question because the government's obviously getting a lot of power and a lot of money for this mindset. They get to regulate a lot of industry. But is there other reasons? Why in the world would they go down this road? Well, I think there are. I think there are three. And, and you have to look at the proponents of this fraudulent hypothesis. And I say fraudulent because when, if you look at the, the temperature database to the atmosphere, uh, the, the first kilometer, eight kilometers of the atmosphere is known as the troposphere. It's available at uh, uh, UAH.com temperature or dot org really but they have a plot of the temperature of the lower troposphere for 40 years and these this data is developed by satellites that polar circumnavigate the globe so it's it's the most accurate record we have and for the period 1979 through 1998 the troposphere cooled every year and that's why the concentration of co2 in the atmosphere increased 25 percent they say, well, I mean, and the, uh, the UN IPCC, the UN Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, scientists have access to this data. So they've been promoting this 
uh, fraud now for uh, ever since the IPCC was created, which was around 1988. So you say, why? Well, there's been over a trillion dollars spent on climate research, quote unquote, over the last 50 years or so with absolutely nothing to show for it. The models that have been created are computer models which can't back, you can't back test them. They can't, they can't predict the past, which is the way you validate a predictive model, and they certainly can't forecast the future. So when you read the UN published data, this is what they say. They want to transfer wealth from the developed countries to the developing countries under the guise of addressing climate change to uh, impact a socioeconomic agenda. And, and, and all you'd need to do is look at what comes out of these climate conferences where they say that the developed nations ought to pay the developing nations reparations for, <laughs> for, for damage done to, the, to their countries and economies. The second the second uh, big proponent of the, uh, in order, the proponent of this fraudulent hypothesis are global investment firms. They trade carbon credits, carbon offsets, and now these ESG investments. And they stand to make, have made, Al Gore has, but they stand to make uh, billions of dollars of profit from trading uh, these various vehicles that are all based on a fraudulent hypothesis. And then you have the government. You have people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, you know, who says, well, you know, we want to take your gas stoves away, your gas-fired hot water heaters, and probably what will come next will be fireplaces because they burn wood that emits CO2. And then, of course, outside grills, if you got a charcoal grill, if you got a gas grill. Yeah. So where does... It's all about the control for politicians. So those are the motivations, that I, and I point that out in my book. Sure. Uh, you're right. It's all about the control. I mean, if we get rid of our fire, our wood-burning stoves and our gas, and then we just get based on the electric, and then we get the redistribution of, well, you use too much electric, so therefore you can't use that anymore. We're going to cut you off. I mean, hey, but she she knows what she's talking about, man. I'm telling you, I mean, she's the one that... Uh... I am told this is a garbage disposal. <laughs> so that's going for us as well. <laughs> Guy, we got to take a break here. Let's, uh, can you stick over one more segment with us? Yeah, buddy. Awesome. Hang tight here. We'll continue this when we come back here on The Voice of Reason. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Oh, darn right it is. Reason, common sense, rationale, trying to bring some sanity back into the world. One radio listener at a time. Multiple radio stations all over the place, plus the TV and the streaming. And, of course, I don't know where over. Uh, podcasting. Make sure to download the podcast. That's I never plug that enough. And we do well with our podcast download. So thank you for that. We appreciate that very, very much. The great deception of the climate change battle. It's funny how we are so gullible. We fell for it of how the world's ending. We need to do this. Remember the whole Al Gore, the seas will rise by 15, 20 feet, whatever it was. The uh, the coastlines will be underwater. 
within 10 years. And well, that came and passed as of like a year or two ago, a couple of years ago, and didn't happen. Didn't happen. So now it's the next one at AOC and Greta Thunberg and everybody else, all these other yahoos that are no, by the way, no uh, climate experts in any way, shape, or form. They have now turned this into that political battle. And uh, we need to start pushing back from this one. We're talking with Guy Mitchell, author of the book Global Warming, The Great Deception, which you can find online at globalwarmingdeception.com. And check out everything that he's got going on here with all the great facts. Uh, guys, we talk about the science behind this, which I know that AOC is the expert on the science here. But let's just, for let's, for a moment, let's pretend that she doesn't know what she's talking about, which is a stretch, I know. But for a second, let's just go here. Is it true that if a super volcano actually erupts like it has in the past on this earth that one eruption of a super volcano is actually putting more co2 into the into the uh, earth's environment and atmosphere than we've ever created in co2 production in the history of mankind is that true because i've heard that story before you know you hear a lot of andy you hear a lot of uh uh i would say uh allegations or 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 suggestions about what man-made, what anthropogenic emissions are in a year or have been since, um, you know, the start of the Industrial Revolution in, in 1870. I've, heard, I've, I've read a lot of, uh, you know, estimates about what, what how much CO2 gets a... Uh, emitted into the air when a, when a volcano erupts. And the truth of the matter is that no one knows. Mm. Um, but the, uh, you know, and, and, and one of the, as I point out in my book, one of the difficulties about this is, is there's no way since about 99.9% of all the carbon in the atmosphere is carbon 12. You can't, that includes both, man-made emissions, as well as natural emissions, there's no way you can measure and say man has, if, if, if the concentration in the atmosphere has increased from 280 parts per million to 410, how much of that is anthropogenic? How much of that is man-made? No one, not only does no one know, but you can, if you could cut a sample of the atmosphere and look at it, it would all be, you know, carbon-12, which is, uh, 12 protons and neutrons <laughs> in the nucleus, yeah. and so there's no way to know. There's no way to and, know. Yeah, but, but but the definitive, but the definitive measure is you look at the temperature databases of the troposphere, which is first eight kilometers of the atmosphere, the oceans, and the landmass, which is that data has been corrupted by by NOAA. But if you look at it. That even the, what data they report shows a de minimis like the the uh, a point zero two degrees centigrade change per decade. Well, that's point zero zero two per year. That's that's well within the margin of error of these measuring devices. So it's it's all a fraud. It's a put up. It's uh, you know they've been manipulating the data. You probably heard about ClimateGate. Yeah. Where the uh, had crew, the Hadley Climate Unit in East Anglia, England, uh, was caught. The scientists were caught. Uh, uh, emails were intercepted that proved 
that they were uh, uh, tampering with the data to try to create yeah. the uh, appearance of global warming. And it goes right back to that concept, like you said, of the control of the manipulation, making us live in fear to where, hey, you can't turn on your heater or your AC during the winter or summertime because you're harming the environment. We're going to go fly on our private jet, though, to tell somebody else they can't do the same thing because it's all about that control. Guy, we're out of time, my friend. I love the conversation. Hey, Andy, I've got one other subjection, uh, you, though. you got 15 seconds. Seven, go for it. Seven kings must die. Seven kings. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I watched it over the weekend, and I bawled my eyes out because it's all over. I can't believe it. Seven kings must <laughs> die. They need to make another one. Guy, I love it, Thanks. brother. I appreciate it. Let's get you back on the show again soon. Always a pleasure. There it is. All right, podcast up in a bit. We'll see you on the radio tomorrow for a Tuesday.